Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening <clears throat> every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. <clears throat> One of the passages we read quite frequently on this program is John 8, 31 and 32. There Jesus says, if, and that's a big if statement, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. We have all kinds of people out here, preachers, believers claiming to be Jesus's disciples, but they all teach different things. Jesus said, you're only a true disciple if you continue in my word. That means if you're not continuing continuing in his word, you're not a true disciple. So you may be out there and you think, well, we're, we're disciples, aren't we? Well, are you continuing in his word? <laughs> Do you allow gay marriage, women preachers, sprinkling babies for baptism, uh, divorce and remarriage? You're not, if you're not continuing in his word, you're not his true disciple, and you won't know the truth. Verse 32 says, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. Free from what? Sin, verse 34. So if you don't follow the truth, you're not going to be made free from sin. Appreciate you listening this evening. I thought we'd start tonight with some instructions from Jesus directly from his mouth in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And here's the first one. I'm just going right through there in order. Matthew 4, 19 it says, and he saith unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There's a couple of things I'd like to talk about here. First of all, Jesus is commanding his apostles there to follow him. And we know we're supposed to follow Christ today, but how can we follow Christ? I mean, the apostles follow Jesus by physically, by walking around with him through the countryside every day, hearing him preach probably multiple times a day, camping out with him, uh, eating with him every day. I mean, how do we follow Jesus? We can't follow Jesus like that. He's not here on earth today. What well, about this? If you, if a guy says he's a follower of Gandhi, well, how can that be? Gandhi's dead. That means he studies Gandhi's teachings and he follows Gandhi's teachings. So if we're going to be a follower of Christ today, that's going to mean we study Christ's teachings and we follow Christ's teachings. His teachings would be the Bible, the New Testament in particular for us. So if we're not following his teachings, we're not really following Jesus. The way you follow Jesus today, since you can't follow him around physically like the apostles did, the way you follow Jesus today is by following his teachings. So many people claim to be Christian, but they're not following his teachings. As a matter of fact, they say, well, it's not that important to follow his teachings. For example, they may say, we're saved by grace. Therefore, we don't have to follow his teachings. It's not important that we follow his teachings. Matter of fact, it's almost like they're saying it's better not to follow his teachings in the vein of Romans 6.1. Let us sin that grace may abound. No, if you're going to be saved by grace, you're going to have to follow his teachings or you won't be saved by grace. If you're not following his teachings, you're not going to be saved by grace. Jesus said, except you repent, and you shall all likewise perish. So the grace of God only applies to those, to those who repent. And then Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know, every Christian is supposed to be a fisher of men, not just the apostles. Every Christian, Acts 8, 1 and 4, is supposed to be out trying to preach the gospel. Man, woman, youth. But most Christians don't try to do that. Most believers, for sure, don't try to do that. They don't work diligently at trying to make, to be fishers of men, do they? If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877 877- Six five five six seven five five. That number to call. The lines are wide open. You'd go right on the air. Eight seven seven six five five six seven five five. 
You know, another passage, and this is probably the most famous passage in the Bible, John 3, 16. The Bible says, or Jesus said, well, actually, it's, I don't think it's Jesus that said this. It's John, the writer, who said this. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, there's the Calvinists out there that say salvation's unconditional. You hear the talk about predestination. Well, another name for their predestination theory, the Calvinist theory of predestination is unconditional election. They say that we're saved unconditionally. We're elected unconditionally. But how could anybody believe that when you have a passage, a verse so simple as John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If there's one thing that verse teaches, the most famous verse in the Bible, if there's one thing that it teaches, it teaches salvation is conditional. <laughs> it's conditioned upon belief and whatever that belief in Jesus involves, entails. It teaches, proves conclusively, I like to say, that salvation is conditional. Yet the Calvinists will say it's unconditional. Well, are they following the teachings of Christ, as we mentioned in the last passage? No. Do they claim to be a follower of Christ? Yeah. But it's so simple. We can see from many verses, dozens and dozens of passages like this, that salvation is conditioned upon our trust and obedience. But the Calvinists will say, no, it's unconditional. Salvation is unconditional. Why do they do that when all these passages teach that it's conditional? Because they're more loyal to their system than they are to God's word. Their system, the Calvinist system, says salvation has got to be unconditional. Therefore, they say it's unconditional, even though we have many passages, like John 3.16, that say it is conditional. It's conditioned upon our belief, whatever that entails. Is that just belief alone? You know, a lot of people say, well, that teaches John 3.16, that salvation is by faith alone. All you got to do is believe. Well, here's another instruction from Jesus in John 3, verses 3 and 5, that'll prove that wrong. John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, you remember in verse 4, Nicodemus says, Well, how can a man be born again? Is he supposed to get back into his mother's womb a second time? Jesus answered, verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So, to be saved, you got to do more than just belief. John 3.16 is not saying all you got to do is belief, divorce from the obedience. No, we see from John 3.5 that a man's got to be born of water and of the Spirit, meaning he's got to be baptized in water according to the teaching of the Spirit to enter into the kingdom of God. It takes more than just belief. When you realize what Jesus has to say, he said it takes more than just belief. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877 655-6755. How about another instruction from Jesus? John 4, 24. He said there, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. A lot of people, people who claim to be Christians, believers in Christ, they think all that matters is that we worship God. It doesn't really matter how. God doesn't care what we do in worship. <laughs> I think we should learn from Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, that it does matter. Here in the New Testament, Jesus is saying, well, if you're going to worship God, you got to worship him in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? Well, in truth would mean according to God's word. Remember John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. 
thy word is truth. The word of God defines for us what the truth is. So if we're going to worship God in truth, we're going to have to worship God according to his word. What about in spirit? Well, you got to do it with the right motivation. You got to do it with the right spirit, with the right attitude. But we have all kinds of people out here today. They're worshiping God. They don't think it really matters how you worship God. They don't think you need to worship God in truth because they're sincere. They say, and we're worshiping God and we'll do it the way we want to do it. They don't bother to consult the New Testament to find out how God wants to be worshipped. It's whatever is pleasing to them. That's what they do. It's more like we're the objects of our own worship. In our worship, we're going to do what's pleasing to us. If that involves a rock band, we're going to have a rock band. Whatever's pleasing to us, that's just kind of like worshipping yourself. If you want to worship God, then you'll turn in the New Testament to find out how he wants to be worshipped. That's a foreign concept of a lot of people who claim to be Christians. But the Bible says, Jesus said, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It has to be according to God's word. Alan, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Uh, Yes, can you hear me? I can hear you. Where are you from, Alan? I'm from Long Island, New York. I happen to be a pastor but I'm a student of the word, but right now I'm doing a lot of personal study on what I would call Lordship Salvation, which MacArthur has been very articulate about, versus free grace and easy believism. And I'm leaning more and more toward Lordship Salvation because I keep seeing people who walk away from their faith or a not very faithful Christian, uh, like people living together and not thinking that there's anything of it. So I would love to know what your perspectives are on Lordship salvation. Well, let me see if I can answer the question with, with a couple of verses. How about, see if Matthew 7, 21 resonates with you, Alan. Jesus said there, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth, the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Doesn't that sound like what you're talking about, that you have to be obedient to the Lord to be saved? Uh, yes, I think that's a good verse. How about this one? Jesus said in Luke six forty six, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? In Jesus implying that it's not good enough just to call him Lord, you have to make him Lord of your life, you have to let him be the boss? Luke six forty six, Alan? All right, what is the passage again? I'm going to really jot that one down. So those are the passages. Car, so it's a little bit yeah. hard. Matthew 7, 21. That Luke I know 6, very well. Luke 6, 46. And here's another one. Hebrews 5, 9. Alan, talking about Jesus, it says, He became the author, or, or source, the newer translations will say. He's the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. Sounds like you'd have got to obey Jesus to receive eternal salvation, doesn't it? Yes, so you would be in the camp that MacArthur, regardless of getting into the uh, Reformed theology, you would support the idea of lordship salvation. I think not only would I support what MacArthur is saying, I think, I'm to the right of MacArthur. I think not only is it lordship salvation true that I believe it's true that you have to obey Jesus in order to be saved. And that's what those three verses prove that I just gave you. 
It's not enough right. just to believe in Jesus. You have to obey Jesus or you won't be saved. Yeah, and then I guess the other question that comes along with this is, uh, is there such a thing as backsliders and carnal Christians as described in Corinthians is the other part of the conversation. Well, let me give you an example of, of a backslider. How about Hebrews 3, verse 1 and 12? Hebrews 3, 1 says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So we're talking about people who have become Christians. It calls them holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Only a Christian is a holy brother, cleansed brother, a partaker of the heavenly calling. Verse 12 warns him, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, I don't think, Alan, that God would warn us about something if it were impossible to happen, right? So So you're saying uh, the warning passages in Hebrews imply that you can backslide. Otherwise, there wouldn't be warning packages. Let's see. I live in North Alabama. Do you think we... I'm, I'm a five or six hours from the ocean. Do you think we see any billboard signs in Huntsville, Alabama that say, beware of sharks? Okay, right. Why not? Why don't we see any billboard signs up here in Huntsville, North Alabama, beware of sharks? Yeah. I get because your point, they're not going to bother. They're not going to bother to warn us something if it's impossible to happen. There's no ocean here. There's not going to be sharks. God is telling these Christians to be careful lest you develop an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. So, I would say that, yes, implies that it's possible for a Christian to develop an evil heart of unbelief and depart from God. What do you think, Alan? So the question is also eternal security, because I also believe that there are some professing, some Christians, genuine Christians that go off the rail, but I've seen so many of them come back to a period of repentance years later, there seems to be a surrender. I don't want to call it a second blessing, yet I've seen many Christians that I feel have had a crisis of surrender. And to some extent, it's reestablishing lordship. So here's another passage that I thought about bringing up before I brought up Hebrews 3 to show that people can backslide. It's James 5, 19 and 20. Alan, it says, brethren, If any of you do err from the truth, the New King James says, wander from the truth, and one convert him. So here's a brother in Christ. He wanders from the truth. You have a little child who wanders from the house. That means he was at the house, he left the house. Here you have a brother in Christ, a brother. He wanders from the truth. That means he was in the truth. He left the truth. Now, the rest of the passage is to us who remain, who have not erred from the truth. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. So the exhortation, Alan, here is that here is a brother that wanders from the truth. Alan, we're supposed to try to convert him back. If we're able to convert him back, we save his soul from death. But what does that imply if he refuses to be converted back? What happens to his soul, Alan? Well, if he refuses, I would question that there was a genuine saving faith if he's numb to that well, conviction. But no, but the cl- passage clearly says this is talking in Hebrews 3 in this passage we're talking about brethren. So these are persons who people have become Christians. And now he wanders from the truth. It says if we're converting him back, we save the soul from death. 
which means here's a brother in Christ that has left the truth and he refuses to be converted back, his soul's going to die. He's going to be lost. Eternally lost? or Oh, yeah. Eternally lost. lost. I mean, it, didn't, it didn't say physical death. It was talking about his soul is dying. Right. His sins won't be covered so, because he refuses to be converted back. All right, so your theology is that you can lose your salvation. You, you, you don't hold to eternal security. Oh, I hold to eternal security, but the biblical version of it. Definitely, like I said, I'm to the right of MacArthur, I believe the Bible teaches you have to obey Christ to be saved. So if you're not obeying Christ, you're not going to be saved. Even if you become a Christian at one point, if you quit obeying Christ, the Bible clearly teaches you're not going to be saved. We saw that in Hebrews 3. We see it in James 5. You may remember, Alan, Revelation 3, 5, where he says, He that overcomes, I will not blot his name out of the book of life. That would have to be talking about a Christian. We're not talking about a pretender. His name's in the book of life. He's in the list of the names of all the saved people. But it implies right. that if he doesn't overcome temptation, his name will be blotted out. So right. that means he was saved, and then he lost his salvation. All right, so just repeat, because uh, I'm in a car. Uh, I, the verse in Luke was Luke 6, 46. Hey, Alan, how about this? I'll call you later and give you all these verses. I'll, I'll send you an email or call you, okay? That would be fantastic because yeah. you could see I'm grappling with things that are interrelated. But yeah, I'm doing that as a pastor because I keep seeing people drifting off the reservation, as they say. And it makes uh, Alan, me wonder. Let me send this to you later because you aren't going to be able to write all this stuff down while you're driving in the car. I'll send it to you later. All right. That sounds good. You've got my cell phone, right? I called on a cell phone. So yeah. You have the number. Yeah, I'll call you on that number later on this evening, okay? That sounds fantastic. Thank you, Alan. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Alan. Right, bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Steve from Colorado, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, no, brother. Like I was just telling the producer, I, I just wanted to encourage you and say thank you for speaking the truth um, in, in context um, with all of the verses that you gave. Uh, I am in the mountains, so I might lose you. I hope I don't, but... I just wanted to encourage you to continue to speak the truth in love and according to Scripture in context. Um, you know, I also agree, although I don't adhere to every single teaching that MacArthur holds to, I do believe in lordship salvation. I do believe in obedience. I do believe in righteousness. I do believe in purity. And, again, all of that can be accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's why the Bible says, you know, walk in tune with the Spirit so as not to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It is a possibility that can work, you know, and I just wanted to encourage you, congratulate you, and tell you thank you, man, for speaking the truth. Thanks for your encouragement, Steve. Appreciate your call. Yes. You know, Revelation 22, verse 14. Um, the Bible says this, blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. What city is that talking about? Well, we, it's talking about the city of heaven where the tree of life is going to be. In the Garden of Eden, we had the tree of life. Adam and Eve could partake of that and live physically forever. In heaven, we'll have a tree of life. We will be able to live spiritually forever if we partake of that. But who has the right to go there? According to this passage. It says, blessed are those that do his commandments that they may have the right 
to the tree of life. So only those who do his commandments are going to be in heaven. But people say, well, you mean you got to obey Christ to go to heaven? Faith all by itself is not good enough? That's exactly what we're saying. James 2.24 is very clear. Nobody wants to believe it because they want to live any old way they want to and still be saved. But James 2.24 is very clear. It says, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. It takes more than just faith. Now, that's not talking about you save yourself with your works. No, you're saved by the death of Christ. That's not what it's saying. You don't need the death of Christ. What it's saying is, is that the only ones who are going to be saved by the death of Christ are those who believe in him and obey him. I mean, we all agree it's the death of Christ that saves you. It's just that some people think, well, all you have to do to be saved by the death of Christ is believe. But this verse is saying, no, it takes trust and obedience. First Peter 1 22, you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. You know, Acts 15 9 says you purify your hearts through faith. So definitely it takes faith to be purified from our sins. But if you say that's all it takes, then you just contradicted 1 Peter 1, because it says you purify your souls in obeying the truth. In other words, unless you obey the truth, you won't be purified from your sins. Seems pretty simple, but most people don't want to accept it. Why? Because they want it to be true that you can live any old way you want to and still be saved. Well, that's where how the once saved, always saved position was born. People invented it out of thin air because they want to live any old way we want to, any old way they want to and still be saved. But of course, you can find a verse in just about every page of the Bible that conclusively conclusively proves once saved, always saved is false. It's just wishful thinking. To believe once saved, always saved is wishful thinking. People want it to be true, so they're going to believe that it's true no matter what the Bible says. Of course, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. People want it to be true that, we're, that our judgment's going to be based upon whether or not we believe in Christ. And once we believe, we can't be lost. But this says on the judgment day, we're going to be judged in addition to, to whether or not we believe. It says you're going to be judged based upon the things that you did, whether they were good or bad. Now, that's foreign to most people's theology. But it's not foreign to Jesus's theology. We already quoted earlier in the program, Luke six forty six. Jesus said, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? He's saying it's inconsistent to call me Lord, boss, and not do what I say. In John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What does that say? If you're not keeping his commandments, you don't really love Jesus like you ought to. People say, oh, no, we're saved by grace. We don't have to keep his commandments. The very opposite is true. We're saved by grace. Therefore, we do have to keep his commandments. You do. You ought to want to do it out of appreciation. If you don't keep his commandments, the grace won't be applied to you. How about John 15, 14? Jesus said, you are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you, people will say, well, you got to have to have a relationship with Jesus to be saved. Yes, you do. And the only way you're going to be his friend, he says, if you do whatever I command you. That's what Jesus said. He said, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you, which means if you don't do what he commands, you're not his friend. You don't have a relationship with him. So if you're living in disobedience, maybe you're in an adulterous or unscriptural marriage, or you're practicing homosexuality, or you're part of a church that allows women preachers, or, or you, you've been sprinkled as a baby for baptism, you're not doing what Jesus commands. Therefore, you're not his friend. In Galatians 5, 6, it says, Neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, 
but faith which worketh by love. So this is one of those passages that teaches we're not under the Old Testament law anymore. Circumcision doesn't matter anymore. The Old Testament law doesn't matter anymore. We're not under that law anymore. Galatians 5, 6. But what does matter? What does avail? Faith which worketh by love. You've got to have faith. You've got to have a faith that works. And it's got to be motivated by love. Faith by itself won't say. It's got to be a faith that works. Even faith that works, if it's not motivated by love, won't save. All of these passages teach, not only does it teach lordship salvation, as MacArthur would put it, it goes beyond that. You have to obey Jesus to be saved. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It takes belief and obedience to be saved from your sins. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Belief and obedience. In John 8, verse 11, Jesus told the, the adulterous woman, Jesus said, go and sin no more. People say, oh, Jesus said she's okay. No, he said, go and sin no more. And that's what he tells all of us. If you'd like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me sometime at your convenience, call or text me, 256-682-9753.